and welcome to episode number 17 of the Elven Padawan from Erebor to Echo Base. This is the long-awaited Solo A Star Wars Story review. And um, I'm just going to hop right into that. No excuses on why this took so long. No long introduction, except to say that the first six minutes are completely spoiler-free. After that, we go full-on spoilers. So if anyone is still trying to avoid too much detail before the DVD release in about a month, you probably want to cut it off after the little gap where we say it's time for spoilers. So other than that, I have nothing to say, so please enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 17 of the Elven Padawan podcast. This is our solo Star Wars story review, breakdown, fangirl session, whatever you want to call it. And today I'm joined with a really special guest who I'm really, really excited to have on. Hello, my name is Audrey, and you might know me from some of the other articles I write for Elven Padawan, and I'm super excited to be here. Yay, I'm so excited. This is like the first time we've talked in real time. <laughs> I'm smiling so big right now and you can't see it. But. Yeah, and this is so much fun. Okay, so I'm just going to start out by asking you, you know, for the spoiler-free part of this review, what was your just main reaction to Solo when you first saw it? I was really happy with how it went like the plot was super exciting and it drew you into the story super well it was way better than i thought it was going to be and just super exciting and i didn't have anything complaints about the plot at all yeah and what did you think of the characters without like revealing any of their fates or anything did you like how they were portrayed and the way they tie into han's larger story overall all of the characters were really easy to relate with. Like, even the people that weren't the good guys were easy to see, like, to relate with them. And you didn't exactly dislike them for their choices. And then it was easy to see how um, they played into Han's life later. Like, how he how he act, acts later. How they... Um, influenced his life right one thing that i loved about this movie is that they were able to pull it off really well where they give a lot of shades of gray and kind of show how han became the person he became later on where he doesn't he has like really weird morals sort of and like and how they showed how he started out having a really strong belief in the world and like good is there and it's gonna save the day and stuff and then how that changes and how the galaxy sort of it starts throwing all these bad things at him and weird things at him and he has to reevaluate how he feels about everything he was like there were some parts where he was like so selfless and i was like yes it's on and then later on i think about how he was later and i'm like it's so sad it like <laughs> took all that away from him it made me really really sad to see solo in a way even though it was a really fun movie and i loved getting to see Han's backstory and how he became the person we see again in A New Hope, it made me sad because he just was so pure and innocent and believed in the world. And then, like, that kind of changed. <laughs> What's in it for me? Like, I'm thinking, but like, when they were going to rescue Lynn, he's like, I'm not gonna go rescue her. I'm like, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Do you used to? Yeah. So, 
on a scale from one to ten, with ten being the highest, how would you rate like your enjoyment of this film? I think maybe a seven and a half to an eight. Like it's definitely not Empire Strikes Back or like Return of the Jedi or Rogue One, but I liked it better than some of the Star Wars movies I like like the least. Maybe it was I... still. Yeah, I think I kind of have a hard time ranking this one with the rest, because it was so different. Yeah. I rank this one like, the 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 whole feel and the way you enjoy it is very different from the way most Star Wars movies, the ones that have been made since the Lucasfilm Disney merge, the way they can be enjoyed. They're so, like, epic, which is great, but it leaves you feeling like an emotional wreck after you finish watching one. So, this one didn't as much do that. It was just more fun to watch. Yes. Like, the whole time, like, there's some parts where I'm just like, this is so much fun. I'm like, in this whole adventure thing, it's exactly like that. And didn't didn't leave me feeling like Rogue One did, even though I loved Rogue One. <laughs> yeah, same. It's nice to sometimes have a movie you just enjoy because it's funny and it's it's just fun to watch versus a movie that you know, you enjoy it because of the story and the characters, but it's emotionally and morally, it's a lot and kind of weighs on you to watch it. And I have to wonder if maybe that's why people are hesitant to really go all in for this one. People need to go watch this more because <laughs> I feel so sad for, like, the actors and the directors and it's like it didn't get a huge hit at the box office the first week and stuff, but yeah. I hope more people will go see it. I don't you need Yes. <laughs> it's like one of those things that you don't want to judge before you see it because just you can't do that. Even my mom who was not excited to see it at all after it was over she was like that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, I totally have to agree with that. So So now that is our I'm just going to go ahead and end the spoiler-free review there, because I really want to talk spoilers. <laughs> so, if listeners who are listening to this podcast, if you haven't seen Solo yet, our verdict is go watch it before you judge it. It's really good, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll really enjoy it. And then, now I'm going to give you five seconds to leave if you don't want spoilers for the movie, and then, because after the five seconds is over, we're just going straight in and we're going to spoil everything. Okay, time for spoilers. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read a quote from Lawrence Kasdan, who is one of the writers for Solo. And this is on Wikipedia on Solo's page. And it says, you know, he's younger in this movie, and that's fun because you have to imagine him 10 years earlier in his early 20s. What was he like before he hardened up, before he had some setbacks, before he got on the cynical coat? What got him there? And that's basically the entire point in this movie. So, I mean, did you think it was, did you think it felt true to who Han Solo was to see him in this totally different sort of light where he's not all cynical and snarky about everything? It was kind of surprising at first, like, how he acted at the very beginning, like, when he's like, I'm going to come back, and he's going to become a pilot to come back and help Kira get off and stuff. I was like, that is, it's way different than I imagined, but it still fits. Like, it still felt like Han. It was just kind of a different view, like, completely different side of Han that we never really see much of. Right. And I love how they were able to 
pull that off because I think who he is at the beginning of the movie is who Han always truly is deep down. But because of people like Kira and Lando and Tobias Beckett, he tries to put on this shell to protect him because of the things that happen to him in the events of Solo and surely other things that happen that we don't yet know about. Yeah, and like some parts, but the parts where he's like um, bluffing through things and he's doing using all his tricks and using a rock as a thermal detonator, it's still definitely Han. It's like, yep, that's still Han, even if he's a little less, I don't know, less Han. New Hope Ponish. Yeah. I love how they were able to do that. I don't know why. I'm just, I feel like gushing about this movie because it was way better than I expected it to be, I guess. I was. There were so many parts where it's just like, yes, that's yeah. so good that they put that in there. Yeah, and it was like, I was not thinking that I was going to need this movie. And I was just like, why do we need to see a whole movie about Han Solo? And then I started thinking about it some more and I was like, no. Why don't we need it? It will be fun to watch. It's like, you know, technically we don't need to know about, I guess, Lyra and Galen's backstory, but Catalyst is still a good book and all that. So it just, it gives another layer of understanding and it's fun to just spend time in the Star Wars galaxy. Yes. Okay, so I, I have one question. What did you think of the little prologue and the way instead of having a title crawl, they had that little uh, blurb thing that went across the screen? I liked how they did it. Like, I was like, when it was starting, I was like, are they going to have an opening crawl? Is it not? Because, like, I kind of feel like this extra movies, like Rogue One and Solo, like, they don't feel like they need an opening crawl exactly. Like, that should be something that only the episodes have. I don't know. Just that that was my opinion. I like how they did it to like set it up a little bit so you're not completely confused at what's going on or like Yeah. Where the galaxy is at that point. Yeah, I totally agree. I liked the way they did the little thing because to me it felt like I guess the, the I feel like only the saga films should have the opening crawl because these are like the great chapters of history. Versus the little thing that we got in Solo, to me, felt like this legend that had been passed down in storybooks or something for years and years and years. And people throughout the galaxy would tell the story to their kids about how Han Solo got started or whatever. Plus the music, like it didn't need like the main Star Wars theme to come on, but they had the the Han's theme, which I've been humming since I got home yeah, from it yesterday. It's so good. I love the music from it. It's got, like, its own twist so that it's distinctive and it's not just, like, they repurpose movie music from the saga films, but it's just, it fits so well. Yeah, uh, but they also put, like, a little bit, like, in some of them they have little pieces from the other films. Yeah. But it's still being its entirely own soundtrack, like, yeah. own feel to it. It has a weird feel. Okay, so now let's talk about the actors and how they played their parts. Now, a lot of people were really, really concerned for to see how Alden Ehrenreich was going to try to portray Han when he's, like, not really acted in very much before, and Harrison Ford made Han Solo a character. So what did you think about his acting throughout the movie? I thought he did a great job. Like, his facial expressions definitely looked like Han at some parts, and, like, his... Voice sounded different than Hans, and, like, sometimes 
he doesn't look exact. He doesn't look like Harrison Ford exactly because he's not Harrison Ford. But he, I think he did pretty much as close, good as a job as they could have. Yes. Done. Yeah, I love I love how they show him portraying Han, and I think he did a fantastic job playing Han. But it's not the same Han from the original trilogy. It's a different Han. Yeah. And that's fine, and I love that. And now, what did you think of Amelia Clark being the female lead as Kira? I think all I think she did a good job too. Like, she's less. You don't have to be as picky with her because you don't have anyone to compare her to. Right. But she still did a good job portraying like a tougher character, but with still some weaknesses and things that she doesn't like about herself. Maybe like I don't. Yeah, she was she was real. She wasn't like perfect or totally bad or anything. Except for Dryden, I don't think any of the characters could really be considered bad or good. They're just doing things. That's a really new thing to see in a Star Wars movie because usually you have either like separatists and um, republic, or you have the empire and the rebels, or yeah. And I like, like how. Like, before we've seen people like Saul Guerrera and even some of the Separatists who they were supposed to think of them as good or were supposed to think of them as bad, and then they come and do something and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't line up. So it just kind of shows you that not everybody on one side or the other agrees with everybody else on their side. But this movie really brought out, there's this whole big gray area where they're not on one side or the other. It's like Han starts out as an Imperial. He joins the Imperial Academy. He's fighting for the Empire. I can't believe he stuck that out for three years. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's like, I got um, kicked out of the Flat Academy. I'm like, no kidding with that kind of attitude (laughs) for an Imperial. Yeah, really. I mean, he would make a worse Imperial than Callus. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, it just, it's interesting because he starts out joining the Empire, not that he wants to join the Empire, but he doesn't really see them as super bad. They're just a means to an end for him. And then, in the end of the movie, he's helping the Rebels, even though he won't admit to it. So, like, it's an interesting balance in his character where he's not good, he's not bad. He has the heart of gold, but he's trying to convince himself that he's just going to do whatever he has to do to survive. Okay, so I know this is this is something I really, really wanted to ask you since you got to see it. What did you think of Lando in this movie? Because I know you don't tend to really care for Lando very much. He didn't bug me a lot. Like, he was still Lando. He didn't betray any... Well, not really. <laughs> he, he let them use his ship. And he was funny. I felt really bad for him when he lost all three. Yeah. Like, he did a good job of portraying that. And the actor, like, he looks even more like Lando than... Alden looks like Han. Yes. Yes, that actor, I think he nailed it with Lando. It was so good. And I think this movie kind of helps you see why Lando is the way he is later on, too. Because I felt so bad for him when Han destroyed the Falcon. (laughs) Because that was like, that was his baby. That was his thing, and now it's been ruined. (laughs) And Kira using his cape to put it on fire. Yes. This this movie is... This capes. He this, has so many capes. His, this movie was basically Lando just a really, really, really bad deal. I don't know. What's that, that meme where and it's And then like, loses a ship at the end. Yeah, and it's like Lando and the terrible, horrible, really bad, no good day. <laughs> That's basically this movie. 
so it's like he got a bad day and Han got a bad-ish day and I'm assuming Kira had a really really bad day later on yeah <laughs> considering who showed up in the end <laughs> which that leads me to something um every time I put out a I get ready to put out a new podcast episode I let everybody know that I am about to record and I tell everybody if they want to send in questions or anything they can and we got a couple of questions from Jonah of the Wookie Gunner she wanted to ask two questions for us to discuss so she said she's curious to know if we think they're setting up Kira to be the next villain I don't know. I kind of hope not, because I didn't hate her character, even though she ended up working with one of my least favorite characters in the end. Like, I still want her story to have a happy ending, because I don't think she really wants to always work under, like, Dryden was her boss, and then Maul's her boss, and if she keeps working for Maul, that's going to end really badly. Yeah. Like, I, I think they're supposed to be making, like, a couple, like, two more, because isn't, didn't Alder sign for like three movies or something yeah that was the rumor that he had signed for multiple movies and a lot of people think that we might be getting a sequel to solo or we'll get like a lando movie and han will be in it or something but i also know apparently it's customary for any time they get an actor they sign him on for multiple movies just in case they need him later then he has an obligation that he has to come back he can't just like leave so uh he may be getting another movie, and he may not. Well, if they do, and I don't really want Kira to be a villain then, but I think she could have the possibility of it, because sometimes she showed that she could be very smart and very... Oh, yeah. Like, she could make a good villain. She can totally kind of work people to doing what she wants them to do. So... I have to think, I wonder, this is just like a total thing, because the way, I I personally feel like she probably did not live past her conversation with Maul. I feel like... Yeah, because he like ignited his lightsaber. Yeah. Was like, Why did he have to do that? Yeah, because he said, I believe his line was, um, you'll be working much closer with me from now on, and she like swallows hard, like she knows what's going to happen. So, and I have wondered if perhaps he thinks she's Force-sensitive and he's planning to try to train her or something like that. Because we know, like, he really wanted Ezra as his apprentice, so I'm curious to know if he had been trying to find other apprentices before Ezra. That could be very interesting if she's set up to, even if we don't see her again in another movie, if somehow she's like Maul's other secret apprentice. I don't know why she even went with him at the end, though. Like, couldn't she have just left with Han? Uh, or it might have sent Maul after them, and she didn't want Han to um, have to deal with that, because she didn't mention him at all when she was telling Maul what happened. So oh, yeah. Maybe I, she was trying to get him to escape. I think it's a really complicated question i have some theories but i think that's part of the beauty of solo as a movie because it seems very simple but when you really think about it there's a lot of very deep motivations for different characters and i honestly feel like for kira 
she didn't want Han. Like, she knew Han was still, for the most part, pretty innocent about how bad the galaxy could be. Han didn't know everything, you know, that she had been through. And she'd been through some pretty bad stuff, in my opinion. So, it's implied that she had had a pretty terrible time of it since he left her. And she has all the stuff that she can't forget or let go of. So, if she tries to run away with Han... Maul and the other Crimson Dawn people are going to chase after her, and it's it's never going to work. And she's in it so deep that she feels like she could never get out. That's sad. It's so sad. And I feel like she didn't go back to Crimson Dawn because she wanted to. It's just like somehow she feels like she can never release herself from that. That's what I was thinking. Like She doesn't seem like the person that would just like want power and be be a crime lord like especially right. growing up on the streets on Corilla Corellia like serving one of those crime lords her whole life it doesn't seem like she'd want to become one right it's almost as if like she has this obligation and a lot of people were curious because she said that Dryden Voss helped her out of a bad situation so that's why she worked for him so people were curious to know what the bad situation is maybe she still feels indebted like she did so much she still owes a debt to them so, I don't know, but I kind of hope she doesn't become the next villain, but in a way, I want to know what happened to her. My theory has been that she probably, like, Maul probably killed her, but I would like to know, I think it would be really interesting if they set up some further story with her. I know my dad's theory is that she's related to Ray. Yeah, my mom said that some people have that theory, too. <laughs> it would be interesting, but kind of weird yeah i th- i think it could be cool for her to be related to ray because they sound and look alike but in a way i kind of don't want her to be because ray's established now as a nobody and it just would be odd if they establish her something different later down the line just random. so and then uh jonah's other question she asked she said also did you think it was a right move to include Maul in the movie, especially since many casual viewers didn't know that Maul was alive. So, let's back up a minute and explain the very last scene. Like, what we saw was just a person sitting in a chair with a metal foot. Like, who did you think it was? I heard the voice, and I was like, I've heard that voice before, but I can't remember. I'm like, it's the Emperor? No, it sounds different than the Emperor. For me, I kept, because you kept talking about this part where everyone was gasping. <laughs> so I was trying to come up with theories for that, and I thought maybe something with Han's parents. Like, does that know? And then he stands up, and I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's small. Yeah, it was, well, I, I saw the cloak and all, and of course I immediately thought Emperor, but then I thought, no, why would the Emperor be involved in Crimson Dawn? That wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, why would the Emperor be involved in this? Normally, the Empire tried to take these people out because they wanted to control everything. So, and also, why would the Emperor work so closely with this, like, crime group that doesn't seem that important? So, and then I saw the metal foot, and I was like, no, it's definitely not. It's definitely not Palpatine. And then, like, I heard the voice. I was like, I have heard that voice somewhere. I knew it. But I was I, just so distracted. I was like, what? Yeah, I thought it was just like, because we listen to audio dramas and we listen to Rebels, like we watch Rebels, and they use a lot of the same actors, so I thought maybe it's an actor that I would recognize. And then he started talking a little bit more before he took his cloak off, and I was like, I know that voice. And some part of me way back in the back of my brain registered that it was Sam Witwer's voice, but I didn't make the connection until he took his hood off. 
And then I, like, screamed. <laughs> I was sitting next to my dad, and when that happened, I was, like, getting increasingly more and more anxious, because I was like, wait, what is this? What's happening? And then that happened, and I, like, gasped out loud and put my hand over my mouth and turned to my dad, and he was, like, laughing his head off at me. <laughs> he thought it was I wish so I could have watched it with more people in the theater. There were only, like, us and, like, maybe, like, ten other people, so I didn't hear a lot of gasping or anything. Yeah. I was just like... I heard people, like, shuffling around. I wasn't really paying attention at that point to see if anybody else was gasping, but I thought I heard some reactions, like, that surprised people. But it was the same in my theater. Like, there were very few other people. I would say maybe 20 people in all were in there. And we were all spread out. And the, the cool part about it was that basically every time L3 said anything, everybody in the theater laughed. <laughs> and that was awesome. But I wasn't really paying attention when Maul took down his hood, but I didn't hear really any other reactions, and I wonder if it just confused people. Yeah, because I know a lot of people don't watch Clone Wars and Rebels and that kind of stuff, so they wouldn't have that history, so it might confuse them a little, but maybe it would encourage them to go watch them because they are canon no matter how much time they try to argue that they're not. <laughs> yes. So my dad was like, hey, so now we know Maul actually survived. I'm like, we already knew that. It's canon. Yeah. But you just don't watch it. Yeah, so back to Jonah's question, do you think it was a good move for them to put them in there? Because some people don't even know Clone Wars and Rebels exist. Yeah. Well, I was super happy that they did it. Like, I was just like, I can't believe they finally did something, like, so huge as that. But also, it probably did confuse some people. Yeah. And I know two years ago, before I got into Rebels and, like, learned stuff about Clone Wars, I would have been kind of upset, because, like, I didn't understand how Maul lived. But now that I do, it makes sense, and I liked it. But before I had it explained, I was just kind of like, whatever, that's not canon. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have liked it a couple years ago. I was thinking the same thing. When I first saw it, I was like, um... Well, when I first saw Solo, I got super excited because I was like, I cannot believe they just did that. Never would I have believed that they were going to do that in an actual official movie. I told my sister when we finished watching it, it felt like we just finished watching a fan film. Just because it was everything, you know, we wanted to see, including the mall part. And I was just like, I can't believe they did that. That's so awesome. I love it. It ties in directly in a way like I have so much love for Rebels and the Ghost crew and the Ghost as a ship, and I loved seeing it in Rogue One, but this was almost, in a way, even a bigger... This was definitely a bigger connection, because it's actually a character who it reveals that he's been playing a part in the movie all along, even though he just has one little scene. So, yeah. at, at first I was super excited, but then when I got this question, and the more I thought about it, I started to wonder, was it a good move? Because... A lot of people who just enjoy Star Wars just to enjoy Star Wars, they're just like, oh, you know, eh, they don't really want to watch Rebels or the Clone Wars. And they don't have to. If you're really into it, it really helps. But you don't have to watch those, and I feel like it might would confuse a lot of people. Because, like, switching over to, to connect it to the Marvel Universe, you've got the the movie, the, the Avengers movie, where the character Phil Coulson dies. And then apparently in one of the TV shows, he comes back. Well, I had no clue he came back. 
So if he just popped up in a movie somewhere and nobody reacted, and like he runs over to Captain America and is like, "Here's your coffee," and then leaves again, I would be screaming, and I would be like, "What? What? What is this? What? What am I seeing?" Because I love the character, but if Captain America and nobody else explains, I would be so confused, and I would be a little bit annoyed, because that would mean I'd have to go watch the TV shows to try to figure out what happened, and I don't have the time to do that, and I'm not that big of a Marvel fan to want to go do that. Yeah. So, I don't know, I don't have a hard answer to this question. Part of me says, yes, it was a fantastic move, because it's paying off the big fans who are really dedicated, but the other part of me says that maybe it wasn't a very good idea because, you know. <laughs> yeah, but other people might not. Although, I guess if you're not, like, a huge Star Wars fan, sometimes you don't go watch the smaller stories. That's true. But then, still, if you do, you might not enjoy it as much. They're not going to gasp or be extremely excited for it. Yeah. For that part. Well... I guess it's also kind of similar to my reaction when we were watching Rebels and hadn't seen the Clone Wars, and then here comes Ahsoka, and then here comes Maul, and I'm like, why are all these characters from the other show coming in? <laughs> and I eventually became fine with it and thought it was really cool how they were tying it all together. But some people, just, they don't care for all the crossovers. And I love it because it ties everything together, but not everybody can take a week off of work and just, like, binge all the shows and... Yeah. <laughs> We should sure. start a petition to get workplaces to give people weeks off to, like... Yeah. <laughs> so they can binge TV shows. Yeah. Very yeah. important. Of course, there is a Wikipedia page if people are super confused, so... Yeah. I mean, I guess... Because this is, like I said, I don't have a hard answer to this question. Part of me wants to say it was a great move, but part of me wants to say it wasn't the best move. I guess... It depends on whether you are a casual fan or not. That's going to change that answer. I feel like I'm personally really happy that they did it, but I can understand where some people would be upset. So far, I have not seen anyone who liked the movie but disliked that part of it. Actually, come to think of it, everybody I've seen who's seen the movie liked the movie, so... It could also, like, open up doors for other crossovers, which, again, would still have the same answer, though, like... If people know certain characters, they'll be really excited to see them. Like, now I really want Hondo to show up somewhere. Yeah. But if people don't know who Hondo is, well, Hondo would be a little easier, though, because he hasn't, like, died and then come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's what it is, then, because Saul Guerrero was in Rogue One, and nobody even seemed to care. Like, a lot of people didn't even know he was from Clone Wars and Rebels before he was in Rogue One. They just sort of understood that he was a character from Rogue One, and to, it kind of, it's sort of the same as watching Solo with the rest of the saga, or not watching Solo, and just watching the saga, in that if you watch Clone Wars and Rebels, you understand Saw Gerrera's motivations better, but you don't have to, to understand why he's there, you just understand, oh, he's another, he leads another group of Rebels, but with Maul... Yeah, they did a good job of explaining, like, who Saul was. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, they did. But then, like, with Maul, he was in a movie, and he died in that movie, and now he's back and nobody cares. <laughs> and it's like, now you have to go watch the shows to find out why he's even there. Versus, and, like, the ghost being in Rogue One. Nobody really even saw that. It wasn't 
important unless you were a Rebels fan. Maul had more lines in that, like, two-minute scene than he did in the entire movie of Phantom Menace. Yes. He got very talkative after he got cut in half. It's like, I saw a, a really funny meme about that somewhere where it's like, Phantom Menace, he's just, like, really quiet and scary, and, and he just doesn't talk. And he's like, I don't do talking. And then Clone Wars and Rebels and everything else, he's like, I have three monologues, here's a sing-along, and there's a dance number. Let's go. He just has all these things that he wants to do and talk about and yell at people because everything he says is pretty much in a scream <laughs> that would have been interesting if he had dropped that name that, that also... I wonder what he wanted that stuff like what did he want the coaxium for even like just his crime group That's for a... their ships or I mean I guess I guess he just wanted to control the underworld, the crime. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we need some explanations, because even when you watch the Clone Wars and you watch Rebels, you understand, okay, now we know why he's here. Now we know that he is here and how he got here, but we don't know what he's doing. Because there's a pretty good gap between the Clone Wars and Rebels where we have no clue what he's up to. And... He, in Rebels, led us to believe that he'd been stuck on Malachor all along, but that's not true. Part of me wonders if he's... Well, I don't think he can already be on Malachor at this point, because he couldn't be able to contact people. But, like, it'd be funny if he wanted it to fuel a ship to get off of Malachor. Yeah. Well, did you... <laughs> this is really weird, but did you notice that he was wearing a shirt in Solo? I didn't notice yeah. I was too busy looking at his face. Yeah, he had... I believe he was wearing a shirt. He had the necklace that Kira wears that's like half. Oh, yeah, I did see that. Crimson Dawn. He's wearing a necklace just like that. And it's like the other half or something. So that's an interesting, because I don't remember anybody else. I don't remember Dryden wearing a necklace like that. She and, and Maul were the only people who were wearing it. So maybe that could imply a greater connection between them than even the movie really shows like i saw this one headcanon that someone had written and it said like um the part where behind the door when they're negotiating on kessel when she takes out that dude and you can't really see it um someone said she said dryden taught her that but she was the person was like maybe maul did like right or some kind of thought well, that's a theory, because the combat style that they use, that Dryden and Kira both use, they mention, she mentions that it's a, a certain type of combat or martial arts that Dryden taught her. The thing is, that is also the same thing that Maul practices. And in the old canon, they talk about how Maul learned this and was like a master of this art. So it's kind of implied that he taught both of them. Mm-hmm. So they work Which makes sense, because I think it's also one of the ones that the um, Praetorian guards in Last Jedi use with their Electro weapons, which Beckett, not Beckett, um, Dryden had one of those electric right. knife things. So I have to go back to these original thoughts about there's got to be some connection between Snoke and Maul. Because, I mean, obviously it can't be Maul. But I feel like there's some common thread that we're not seeing. So, 
I don't think at this point they're going to make Ezra be Snoke. I feel like that would be really weird. That would be awful. <laughs> that would be horrible. It would Poor Blueberry like... turned into this creepy dude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I feel like he would have to have, like, a brain transplant or something for that to happen. It's like, brawn, too much brawn out there. In yeah. The base wherever they are. I would not understand why they would do that. But I wonder if, is it possible for him to have had another apprentice, like we theorized maybe Kira is, and that is Snoke. Because I know we're just supposed to understand that Snoke has no history and all that, but the connections to Maul are really, really strong. That would be so cool. Like, creepy, because it's like Maul's been working behind the scenes this whole time, but really cool. But basically, Maul is an even bigger villain than Palpatine, in a way, because Palpatine's up front, but Maul's working in the background. That's and, just terrifying. Yeah, it's really, really creepy. And I don't think he survived his encounter with Obi-Wan in Rebels. I really think he did die then. But I, yeah. I still feel like Snoke has some connection to him because the combat styles used, all the there are just a lot of things that seem to go to Maul and even... Rebels Recon video, they were talking about how Maul doesn't want to make a Sith or be a Sith. He wants to make something new, exactly the same way Snoke is. And the fact that they name-dropped Snoke in that, I was like, that's gotta be a connection. But then it looks like it's not, and just, I'm confused. You can never tell when they're being serious or if they're just kidding. Yeah, especially because it was Pablo Hidalgo who said that, so I'm like, well... Is that just a tease, or is that actually something we're supposed to pay attention to? Okay, so on to the next, on to the next topic, and the next topic I want to discuss is outside of Han and Kira and Lando. What did you think about the other like side characters in the movie, like Tobias Beckett and Val and even Dryden and Rio? They killed yes. Rio way too fast. I was like, no, he was so cool. He was so good. I liked good. both Rio and Val, and even though I didn't really like Beckett by the end, I was kind of like, okay, you're not a really great guy, but <laughs> I still feel bad for him when he lost Val, and he was going to go back to the planet and learn to play that instrument or whatever that was. Yeah, that made me <laughs> sad. I felt bad, but I, I actually Val. And... Never mind. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I actually loved Val, and I didn't want her to die. More people died than I expected. I think I was just, oh, I didn't expect all of them to, like, live through the whole thing, but at least at the beginning, like, more people died. I was like, no, we're not having another Rogue One. <laughs> Some of these people need to live. Yes. Well, Rio, I was, I was afraid he was going to die. I was afraid that Val was going to die because she wasn't in the trailers very much. She wasn't in the promotional stuff very much. And all the scenes she was in with the trailers happened right on in the very beginning of the movie. I was like, oh no, she's going to die. Yeah, I was like the... racking my brain, like trying to think if I've seen, saw them in any more clips later on. I'm like, no. Yeah. She, she kind of reminded me a lot of Hera in a way. Like a more bad, I guess, version of Hera. Because <laughs> she, she was sort of similar. She was like the, the one who held it all together. And even everybody else might would have killed each other, but she sort of kept it under control, sort of. Yeah. 
Because there was a moment where uh, Beckett said that he didn't trust anybody, and Hans said, well, you trusted Val. He was like, I don't trust anybody. But he never actually said that he didn't trust her. Mm-hmm. And L3 would have been such a good, like, rebel droid if she hadn't. Yes. Why? She's like, rebellion! I loved her. I don't know why, but I, I wasn't thinking I was going to like her a whole lot, but I actually ended up loving her, because she was just, she was so funny. I love how they can make each droid have, like, their own specific personality. Like, they're all so different, and watching all the droids together would be such an entertaining movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see how L3 and Chopper and K2SO would act if they all got put together. <laughs> I, I just think it would be a lot of fighting. C-3PO and L3 are, like, the exact opposite. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, 3 is like, follow orders and do everything right. In the place. <laughs> L3, it's interesting how she's still distinctly a droid, but she's so different from every other droid we've seen in Star Wars before. She's way more, she's a little more human than some of them. Like, both K2 and L3, I think, are probably the most, I mean, not, like, the most human. Like, Chopper still has emotions and stuff, just... Maybe it's because they can speak basic. Yeah. They just need a little more. Yeah. In between the two. She was just so good. And it kind of... I'm curious to know how you feel about this, but there's been a pretty major reaction to her being put into the Falcon. Just, you know, her brain sort of being uploaded to the Falcon. Because people were like, that's horrible. Her whole thing was droids are people too. And now she's stuck inside a ship forever. Well, I don't think, I mean, if you made a new L3, it wouldn't really be her, but this way she can always be part of the Falcon and Lando's. Like, I think it was a nice thing for them to do, but I don't know how L3 would feel about it. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people are concerned about, is they're like, but, like, L3 is all about being independent and not having to do what people tell her and stuff and now all of a sudden now she's trapped in a ship and can never get out and she's probably hating the world so but now that doesn't mean she can't ever get out it I also mean, makes sense with the part in empire strikes back where 3po says the falcon has a really weird way of communicating yes because it's l3 <laughs> but they story group has basically confirmed that every time the falcon unexplainably stops working in the original trilogy, that's L3. <laughs> Basically, every time it does something and makes Han mad, like, it will deliberately stop working when Han needs it to work. That's because of L3. And then, like, Lando gets it, and it works fine. So, <laughs> it's, like, really funny. I would like to see... Well, and there's also a, a part, I think, in the Last Jedi novelization, where it was talking about how R2 hated plugging into the Millennium Falcon because one of the droid brains in the Falcon liked to insult him and be mean. <laughs> like, I was like, it's this L3, it is. Now. <laughs> it just, it's so cool how this ties in so directly with the original trilogy. It had so many ways to tie into, like, it tied into prequels because it had Maul and it had... yeah. Like Syndicate and all that kind of stuff. And then it tied into sequel a little bit. And it tied into the original trilogy. And Rogue One. Like, they mentioned Scarif. I was like, yes, yes. they mentioned Scarif. They mentioned several that, things. And, and it just, it got me so excited. It had one of the two tubes of Saul's, um, one of his extremist people. Yes. In the, 
in part of Enfy's Nest, Marauders people. Yeah, so which I didn't actually see, but my brother was like, there was one of Saul's people there. I'm like, there was? <laughs> I yeah. saw it, but I wasn't sure if it was just like the same species or if it was actually the same character. I'm assuming it was probably the same character because they're pretty distinctive now. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> we have to talk about Infus Nest. Yes. She was so cool. Like, as soon as she took off her helmet, I'm like, like, she doesn't look very old. She looks like probably younger than Han, at least. Yeah, a lot of people think she's probably Leia's age. So, mm -hmm. that means she's... Well, no, that couldn't work, because... Yeah, no, that couldn't work. Maybe she's Hera's age? I'm not sure. But, like... Somewhere. I think it's ten years. It's kind of it's kind of weird to try to figure out the timeline. But I think Solo is ten years before Anova. That's what I've heard, too. So that would mean yeah. Leia would be nine. I don't think Infus was nine. Whoa. But... <laughs> <laughs> A little older than that. Something like that. And then it's like... So I'm guessing... Well, I was I was telling my sisters that depending on exactly how the timeline works, she could be, I guess, about I guess about Hera's age, because Hera was eighteen when she and Kanan met six years before Rebels or something like that. It's it's really complicated and hard for me to figure out. <laughs> that was not what I what I was expecting when she took off her helmet. Like I think I knew it was a girl, but like like a younger person that's like yeah. And fight that well, and is risking all that to be part of a rebel, like a, I guess, I guess you wouldn't call it a cell, but like part of something that's going to be part of the rebellion later. Yeah. Like, there's so many different things that went into building it. Yeah, I was really, I thought it was really cool that they added that detail, because I did kind of suspect that it was a woman, but I thought it was like an adult woman, and she looks like she's probably a teenager. I really want the rest of her story now, because, like, what did she do after that? Did she meet anybody that we knew? Did she live? Like, I thought I was really worried she was going to die when um, the rest of Crimson Dawn came to get the yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm like, of... please, no, no, no. I wonder if she survived to become part of the Rebel Alliance, or if she joined Saul's group. I mean, because she seemed to have more morals than Saul's group did. Yeah, when I was when I heard about Saw's person in her group, I was like, does that mean she's working with Saw? Because she doesn't seem like she'd be that type. Yeah, because her whole thing, the reason she disliked Crimson Dawn is because they were so brutal, and Saw's group was known to be really brutal. So. I hope we do find out later that she was part of the Rebel Alliance. It makes me curious now to know why she didn't show up or she wasn't even mentioned in Rebels because Saul's group was. Yeah. Just so many interesting details in that movie. She kind of looks similar to um, one of the three um, people that take care of the fathers in Last Jedi at the end. She looks like one of the little girls that has to work there. Yeah. I think her name is Aracella Sar. Yeah. The, the curly hair and the freckles. Yeah, I've, I've seen her picture. That's interesting. I didn't even think of that. I really hope we find out that there are a lot of connections in this movie because a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. But I think it does. I think it, it helps me like the original trilogy much more and that whole era. It's like we're putting in more puzzle pieces, like... 
some puzzle pieces are bigger than others, but they still help make the whole like timeline of the galaxy. Yeah. So what did you think about how Han Solo got his name? That was interesting. I was like, so what? That's not his actual last name. That's just some random name that Imperial gave him. Now yeah. that's why, that's probably why Leia didn't take his last name, like, because it was symbolic of him being by himself, but when he marries Leia, he has a family, so he doesn't, he, they shouldn't all use the name Solo, because <laughs> yeah. they're not Solo. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that that's how he got his name, because the big thing, the big thing, like, people noticed about Ray and Finn is they don't have a last name. And for a long time, that was a big deal. They're like, well, what's their last name? And then we get Solo, and there's a bunch of characters who don't seem to have last names. Like, Han didn't have a last name. Kira didn't have a last name. Val didn't have a last name. They're just people who have no history or family or anything. That's another way that, like, Han is similar to Ray, like, how they don't. I found, like, a lot of ways that he mirrored her in this story, and I'm like, that's why they hit it off so well in Force Awakens. How yeah. Like, okay, I'm adopting Ray now. Yeah. I love how they did that, how it really strengthens, I guess it helps you see Han and Ray's relationship in a different way, how he sees her and wants to do everything he can to give her a chance at a better life instead of going back to Jakku. Because he knows what that's like, because he did that too. He had that same history. Yeah. Also, Han in this movie, for some reason, he reminded me a lot of Finn. Some of the things he said and the way he acted and stuff, it reminded me of Finn. So it kind of makes me wonder if Finn is going to go on to be the next Han Solo in a way. He needs to learn how to fly better first, though. <laughs> yes. Of course, I don't know. I don't know how much can be said for Han's flying in some parts of this, like the getting stuck <laughs> in the alley and all that. <laughs> and I that love... did not work. Yeah, no, that did not work at all. <laughs> at least it worked the second time, though. And I'm, at the part where Cuba was like, well, I remember it didn't work. I was thinking, like, when Leia has to go through all of Han's crazy things in the asteroid field and all that like i feel like kira and han would actually be i mean kira and leia would be good friends if they ever met because they both had to go through so many like almost near-death experiences at han's crazy stunts that he's pulled yeah yeah and i loved how they explained the whole parsecs thing <laughs> because that was a lot of people's thing about star wars they're like star wars is stupid because parsecs aren't time and they explained it and they're like no actually this is actually pretty simple. <laughs> it's a pretty good answer to that whole issue. And I like how they did it. Though it makes me so sad that he destroyed the Falcon that way. Because it was so pretty before. It changed so much between Lando's ownership and Han's. Yeah. It made me sad. Like the part where Lando's looking at it and he just looks like he's about to cry. And he's like, I hate you. <laughs> I never want to see you again. <laughs> yeah, I love that whole... I just, I love their dynamic in this movie. It was really, really funny. And it helps us understand how, why they act the way they do towards each other when they meet again in Empire Strikes Back. 
Yeah. I also love how he's like, I hate you, I never want to see you again. And then Han shows up on wherever that place is where he's gambling later, and he's like, oh, hey, my buddy! <laughs> and it's like... And they do that thing, like, he almost does a thing where, like, he acts like he's gonna hit him, but then he just hugs him, like, yeah. they do an Empire Strikes Back. They did so well with putting all these little Easter eggs in there. Yeah. I don't know if they call it Easter egg, but... Like, callbacks. And I love how he just keeps calling him Han. Just, like, yes, to and irritate. Yes, they address the part where he always mispronounced it. Yes. And I, I also like how, how Han sits down at the table and he's like, Oh, I've played Sabacc plenty of times before, and then he mispronounces as Sabacc. And it's like, have you played before or have you not? <laughs> Do you know what I wanted them so bad to say every time they were playing? I really wanted some one of them to lay down the Sabacc, and then the other person to be like, oh, but I have an idiot's array yes! like Rebels. Like, I wanted so bad, but they didn't do it. I was waiting, like, on the edge of my seat. I was like, come on, come on, you gotta get an idiot's array. And then they didn't, so. so that was, like, the only opportunity they missed that they could have. Yeah, they should have. That, that would have been cool, especially if Lando is always getting them, and that's how he wins. He, like, always gets them. Yeah. That would have been funny. And I'm just curious to know now exactly at, at what point after Solo did he get that land on Lothal and find a puffer pig and all that. Oh, they should have had a puffer pig in the movie! No! <laughs> that would have been that awesome. That would have been funny. That would have been the best thing ever. Live action puffer pig. <laughs> well, they said that they designed, the design crew on Rebels designed baby puffer pigs for the end of season four, where they were hiding with them or whatever. Oh, yeah. But then they just weren't able to use them. They were like, they're really cute, but we weren't able to put them in. I'm like, I wanted to see a baby puffer pig in Solo. Yeah. I'm glad they established that Han won the Sabacc game fair and square, though, because I always wondered, because Lando said he cheated, and Han said he won it fair and square. Well, he... Lando, well... kind of cheated. He cheated. Did he take that green card out of Lando's thing? Yes. <laughs> so he sort of, he sort of stole Lando's cheat, sort of. <laughs> I guess if you cheat, eventually it's gonna be used against you. So. Yeah, I love it. I love their like their dynamic is so awesome. <laughs> they just basically keep betraying and cheating each other, and then they meet again, and they're like, "Oh, the buddy!" And I'm just like. Hmm. How much longer are you going to do this? Now I really want... I still want Lando to show up in episode 9. Oh, I wonder... Oh, I'm have to find out Han's dead. Oh, that would be so sad. Because we know when, when the whole news broke that Leia was Vader's daughter and all that, he was one of the ones who called and left her message and told, him, told her that he still supported her and everything. Oh, yeah. And that was just a few years before The Force Awakens, so we know he was still alive then. And I don't think Kylo would have had a reason to hunt him down and kill him, so. Not Uncle Lando. <laughs> like, we know that they, that Kylo really, well, Ben, really, really liked him when he was a baby. He loved to hang out with Uncle Lando. And I'm like, that is just the cutest thing. Now maybe since Leia can't, oh, I just had a funny thought. What if, now that Leia can't face off with Kylo, maybe Lando ought to do it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, like, 
Oh, and that means home. there's at least, so if Lando and Ben were really close, that means there's at least one more person in the galaxy that cares about Ben. Because I've been thinking about it, I'm like, basically the only person who really cares is, like, maybe Ray. Yeah. Maybe. And then there's, like, nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that would be so awesome if they brought him back and, like, did something with him and Lando. Like, if they brought Lando in and had him be the one who helps Kylo or something, that would be, like, the coolest thing. And now um, there's some interesting things about how the dice, how all that worked, because the dice played such a big part in Solo, and then and then they play a, they have a pretty significant scene in the Last Jedi. So some people are curious to see what they really mean or where Han originally got them from. Yeah. Because Han and Kira sort of used them as their symbol, and they would give them to each other to, like, I guess, remind them that there was hope or whatever. And then when Ben was growing up, he loved to play with them, and then there's then they show up again in The Last Jedi, so... That made Last Jedi make more sense, too, because we hadn't really seen them... Well, I hadn't really noticed them in A New Hope, because they're yeah. just up there at the top, and you don't really see them. I was like, wait, where are these dice coming from? Where... Yeah, it's so one of those it's one of those things that only some people really know about and then they just like randomly threw it in there and you're kind of confused, but now it makes a lot more sense. So, I wonder if that means that Luke and Leia know the whole story about how uh, about Han getting started and Kira and all that and that's why Luke gave them to Leia was sort of the same thing that Han and Kira would give them back and forth to like help each other keep hope and all that. That would be really neat. Like a, that's a neat symbol, kind of. Yeah, I hope it. I hope it comes back and plays a part again later, because I guess we can kind of assume that they were left on the island when Luke faded away. But I would love for Ray to get them and all that, and then them show up again later. Does that mean Han? Oh, he took Luke took them out of the pocket, right? Forgot. So I'm curious to know where they are. Like if he left them on uh, Octo, or if he, I don't know, what happened to them. And there's, like, one speculation that, like, me and Shara, me and my sister have talked about it a lot, and we've been like, so maybe he somehow, Luke somehow gave the actual ones to Leia, and then left an illusion of them laying there, and that's what Kylo picked up, or, like, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, because it seemed like Leia was actually holding them. Like, when she clutched them in her hand, they didn't, like, go through her hand or something, so it seemed like they were there. But yeah. so did Luke. Like, his lightsaber went through. Like, it's kind of like... That stuff is weird. I don't really understand <laughs> the whole force projection thing yet. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it, but it it's still confusing. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of something else that we need to discuss. Oh, so one thing I really did want to discuss was Han and Beckett and how their relationship ended. I was really surprised that Han actually shot him. Like, of course Han has to shoot first, but yeah, I didn't really think he had to kill him. It's kind of, like, harsh. Yeah, it made me sad because, yeah, Beckett betrayed him, but he still... Like, I'd, I think it was a really weird sort of relationship but it was well, like he still seemed like he was taking Han under his wing like yeah he was still getting kind of attached to him a little like he wasn't like purposely trying to be mean to him 
Right, and he said that he would have killed him, and I think it's possible that he would have, but I think, because Han looked like he was about to cry when Beckett was dying, like, Han didn't want to shoot him, but it's like he's been with these people, and now he's learned the rules of the game if you want to survive. Yeah, it's like part of, I guess, part of his step into turning into rougher Han. Yeah. I felt so bad for him when he was looking up when Kira was leaving, though, like, his face was like. Just everything was so sad because there, there are all these parts in the movie where you see Han and he's just like this young guy who's like, I'm going to have a great future and it's going to be so much fun. And then all the bad things happen to him. And it's just like, oh, and he just, he never gets a break. And that's what turns him into the person that he is later on. Yeah. And then now I'm imagining him like thinking about all of this, like back in, in A New Hope when, um, when Luke's like telling him that he only cares about himself and so then he leaves but then he comes back like he's kind of turning back a little back into who he used to be yeah well maybe he maybe when he left in a new hope the first time and was and was thinking he was just gonna leave and and leave luke and leia and everybody else to fight maybe he thought of kira and how she left him and how that didn't feel very good so he went back so what did you think of Kira in general and, like, her relationship with Han? Because I know you weren't real happy about that to start with. <laughs> I thought I was going to dislike it a lot more than I actually did. Because as a really big Han Leia shipper, I thought I was going to have lots of problems with it. But it was actually really not that bad. It was pretty sweet, actually, at the beginning. Like, when he was going to come back to help her, I felt really bad when she got left behind. I still think there was a little bit too much kissing. <laughs> But, um, it wasn't awful. Yeah. And I still liked Kira as a character, even at the end, because I don't think she purposely did that to work with Han, um, Maul, because she wanted to work with Maul. I don't think that was her motivation, so I really don't dislike her as a character. She was really, she was really smart, and she was still tough, but she still had parts of her that were still human. So, I still liked her as a character. Yeah. I ended up liking her a lot because I thought her her being who she was and the choices she made throughout the movie and her relationship with Han helped it, it helps me understand why Han acts the way he does with Leia later on cuz I had a hard time when I first watched Star Wars and and first was old enough to understand all the story and what was going on. I had a hard time with Han and his and Leia's relationship cuz I was like he kind of acts like not very nice, he's kind of a jerk, but then I understand now, now I can like it more because I can understand how he's kind of scared to get real close to Leia because of what happened with Kira. Hmm. I mean, it just, it makes everything make more sense, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool, how, how this all ties together. They did a great job of tying everything together. Okay, so if there was one thing in Solo that you really, really wanted to see... And it wasn't in there. What what would you put in there if you could go back and add anything? Mm, I don't know. Maybe Hondo showing up somewhere, <laughs> or I thought of a moment that was like that could have been another iconic moment in Han's history, but I forgot what it was. Yeah, Hondo being in there would have been like amazing. <laughs> I'm kind of glad they didn't put anybody like Boba Fett in though, because that would have felt like too much. Yeah, too many main characters, and 
I'm not sure what Boafet's role would have been like, because there's already so many people trying to go against them if Boba Fett had been trying to hunt them too. It would just been yeah. a lot. Because Boba Fett is known to, like, never, never not catch who he's trying to catch. So it would have been, like, kind of like the same problem they had in Rebels with Vader. They couldn't have Vader keep showing up and never kill anybody, so. Although it seems like Boba Fett would be really mad at Beckett because he killed, because Beckett killed Ura Singh. Yeah. At that part, I was like, wait, really? Didn't Ura Singh, Ura Singh like, took Boba under her? wing after her his dad died yeah she did it seems like he'd be probably mad at that that would be a really interesting thing to see because she did kind of take him in but the funny thing about boba fett in the clone wars is that he's young and he's actually not really bad in the clone wars he doesn't want to kill people and stuff and he and ara have a lot of arguments because she's like just kill people and he's like i don't want to kill people and it it always made me sad because i was like oh little boba don't don't be a bad person. So yeah, I wonder if he actually killed her or not because he said that he's pretty sure the fall killed her. He just pushed her off the cliff. <laughs> but hmm, I want to know if she actually survived or not because in Clone Wars she got an entire ship dumped on her and she survived. Well, yeah, I feel like she could survive some things, but that would be interesting. I'm also trying to think about like some characters. I I feel like I know I I reference this all the time, but I feel kind of like. Han Solo, the the group that he got in with, with uh, Val and Beckett's group, was kind of almost like a unscrupulous version of the early Ghost crew, in a way. Yeah, because they were like a family, they worked together, and how, it was like... Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting, and I was, I've, I've been thinking a lot about what if they swapped Val and Beckett's characters, where Beckett was the one who died and Val survived and then basically did everything Beckett did? I think that, that would have been interesting. That could have been interesting because then instead of having someone who was sort of like a mentor father figure betray him, he would have had someone who was kind of like a mother figure betray him, and that that could have been a really interesting dynamic. But... I wonder, I don't think Val would have betrayed him. She seemed to be the the most good one out of the whole group. A little bit. Though she didn't really like Han at the beginning, right? She was yeah. the one that was like, gave up her life to finish the job. Like, it just seems like smugglers wouldn't want to do that. Like, I guess they still have more moral than other groups of crying people that yeah. go around stealing things. Yeah. That's what makes me interested about her. I wish we knew more about who she was to begin with. Because it does seem kind of odd that she would blow herself up to finish the job. Unless it was because she'd rather, like, kind of like Beckett said, that, you know, you'd rather die than be caught by Crimson Dawn not doing what they wanted you to do. So, she, she made me wonder if maybe she hadn't always been a smuggler or something. She was a different sort of person or whatever. But there's a comic book coming out about Beckett, and it's going to have Infus in it, and it's going to have Val and Rio in it, so I want to read it. Ooh. Like, comics aren't my favorite Star Wars stuff, but I want to read I'm always one. confused as to, like, where the next line I'm supposed to read is. I'm, like, jumping around, and I'm like, wait a minute. What? Yeah. There's so, there's so many of them, and the timeline jumps everywhere. Like, it'll go forward, and then it'll go back, and it's, like, really, really confusing with comic books. 
And I just, I have a hard time really getting into the story because it's just scenes and words and I'd rather read a book. It's really bright. Like, they don't leave as much to imagine because there's so many pictures. So you don't get to, like, read a whole page. Every page only has, like, a couple words on it. Yeah. But I would probably read it if it had entities next to it because yeah. I need more of her now. I really, really want to know what happened to her. I feel like she ought to have a bigger spot in the saga overall. Oh, I remember. Because we were talking about what one thing we we would have liked to see added. I know of one thing I would have loved to see added. And I know Maul being in there was a huge reference to the animated series. Would have been the best thing is if Enfys had like watched Han leave. And she was talking to somebody and said something about how we'll see him again. If she had pulled out a comlink and been like, we got the coaxum and the little symbol was the fulcrum symbol. Yeah. That would have been the best thing. Because it would have fit really, really well. Yeah. Because Ahsoka had been doing that for a while, right? Yeah, she'd been doing it for, like, since Leia was a toddler. Whoa. So... That would have felt so loud. Yeah. Which is kind of sad to think about, because she was still pretty young when she had to do all that. So, like, Ahsoka had a hard life, and it makes me sad to think about. I'm trying to think of anything else that we need to discuss. Because <laughs> we kind of just rambled, but I just... I just have to all get All the it. things that were in there, though, I loved, because I got goosebumps at so many parts. Like, especially during the castle run, I'm like, we are watching Han... Do the castle run. Yes. In 12 It was like... It was like watching history that you... Because it really is like a legend that you've heard about the whole time. And then you're actually getting to see it. Like Right. That and was... I loved the part where he flew the Falcon for the first time, too. It's Han and Chewie. Yeah, it was like... That was the best thing about this movie. is Because it was like watching history happen. And you knew the history, but you didn't see it happen. And now you're seeing it happen... And it just felt so real. Like, this is what actually happened. This isn't a retcon or anything. This is the actual thing. And that was just neat. And also knowing that Ch- that Han can actually speak Shrewook. <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> and, and that's part of what's so funny is that he can actually speak it. And we laughed so hard when Chewie was trying to choke him and he started gurgling. <laughs> because we he thought he was... Act- he was bad, bad acting when he was trying to, like, trick the people into thinking yeah. she was actually still fighting him. And then he called Chewie a move smoker, yes. which is what he uses in Force Awakens. I love that. And it was so funny because all throughout the other movies were led to believe that Han can understand Chewie perfectly, but then we find out in Solo he actually probably can only understand him like 70% of the time. He can't always <laughs> understand what he's saying. He just pretends like he knows what's going on. So that, that makes me laugh a lot, too. There are just so many little bits in this one that was... It was just a lot of fun to watch. I guess my only really big complaint is that we didn't get more of some of the side characters like Val. And, like, Infus played her part, and I want another movie or a comic or a TV show or something with Infus in it. But some of the characters like L3 and Val, it felt like maybe they could have done something besides killing them off, even though L3 yeah, didn't like, really L3 could have... I thought Elsie was going to make it after Lando brought her back on, and then she turned off, and I was like, no. Yeah, it was so sad. She was a good character. Except for sometimes I didn't know where to look when she was talking, because she didn't have, like, a face. She just, she just had, like, weird... she had the weird 
like flat head and like cameras all around it so I didn't know where to look I'm trying to think like what was your probably your favorite scene in the whole movie that's really hard because I loved the whole thing I think probably my probably the castle run part but I also loved the part when Kira and Han were fighting Dryden Voss like yes that big sword she got to use was really cool yes that was cool how she like it looked like she was gonna kill Han but then she killed Dryden <laughs> I guess I wasn't thinking of that part because I was like actually in suspense but then I was like wait a minute Han can't die yeah still <laughs> yeah that's the biggest thing is that you're like oh no watch out Han watch out Chewie and then you go wait a minute they can't die what am I doing <laughs> what was your favorite part it's it's really hard to choose. Um, probably either. Oh, it's just really hard to choose. Like maybe when Lando and Han both times they're gambling because that was just interesting to watch, or also maybe when uh, L three and Kira were talking because that was funny. <laughs> and, Kira said what everybody was thinking, like, she was like, how would that work? Like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody, like, that was the part, I think, where everybody in the theater laughed pretty loudly. And, like, we were just, everybody burst out laughing. And the way, the way the lines were written, they were perfectly timed so that everybody can laugh, and you won't. Like, you'll still be able to hear the next line. It's like they were expecting yeah. everybody to laugh. And I love it. It's so good. I And I guess, I mean, I guess there is a possibility that they could somehow get L3 out and put her into another droid body sometime. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. What would also be interesting is that now that Rey has the Falcon, if somehow Rey finds out about it and, like, communicates with her and she ends up really liking Rey. Yeah. That would be kind of neat. BB-8 would be jealous. <laughs> Aw, but BB-8 has Poe. That's true. Now I'm remembering, like, when Poe, like, rubbed his belly in The Last Jedi. <laughs> Somewhere between completely adorable and also a little bit odd, because why would you rub a droid's belly, but... I can't feel you. It was cute. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're just kind of rambling all over the place, but I don't also I also don't really care because I haven't been able to talk about it with anybody yet, so Probably my favorite funniest funny part other than the part with um Kira and L three was the part where when they're showing meeting Emphy's Nest and Han's like, We have thirty hired guns on that ship. All I had to do is give the signal <laughs> Lando was not staying any longer. I was laughing so hard at that part. I think they got the humor really, really good. It wasn't, like, cheesy, and it wasn't, yeah. like, oh... It was just, like, really funny. But it still felt... It wasn't, like... Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, this is going to be the Guardians of the Galaxy of the Star Wars universe. When I first watched Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, this does not work. This is not how Marvel movies are supposed to be. It's too goofy. <laughs> It was, it's dance off. It's just like really. Solve this problem with a dance off. Yeah, it's just like really silly. Like, oh, now we're dancing. What? So, <laughs> so, so like, Solo was funny, but the humor still worked. It still fit the universe, and it felt like something those characters would actually say and yeah. do. Yeah. 
And especially in the part where Beckett was like, we lost this cannon, and I really hurt my thumbs. Yes. Everything was just like, it just fit really well, and it was funny without trying too hard. Yeah. And even though the movie didn't have as like as much at stake as like Rogue One and how it was different, um, there's still a lot more plot twists. Cause like Rogue One, you knew they were gonna get the plans. You knew most of them probably weren't gonna make it out. But this one, cause you didn't know, you knew like nothing about how this movie was gonna go. There were so many plot twists that I wasn't yeah. expecting. And I think that's the biggest problem with why people aren't watching it is that they aren't watching it because they don't expect it to be good. They because the trailers don't really tell you anything except, now let's watch Han Solo be a teenager, basically. <laughs> like, the trailers don't really even hint at the plot. They're just like, we're trying to steal something. Well, duh, it's Han and Lando. Of course they're trying to steal something. But but then when you actually watch the movie, there's a really pretty complicated plot that they're following along. And they're doing all these things, and like this person dies, and now they have to get another crew member. And they get in this setback, and now they have to figure out how to get through. And all that... And it's just all these things that make it a fantastic movie, but because people don't know about them before they watch it, they don't want to watch it. Yeah. Especially at the end, it got really confusing when he was like, I was like, is that real coaxium? Yeah. Is that fit? Is that fit? Okay, it's not there. And then Becca takes it, and then, okay, wow. Yeah. It got complicated. He was way smarter than people give him credit for, because he thought all that through and, like, stayed a step ahead of them the whole time. Yeah, I enjoyed that part. It was like, it started moving really fast, and if you, like, blinked too ho- too much, you would miss what was going on, but it like, was still interesting. I was distracted at the last part with Han and Beckett, because um, someone was trying to ask me a question, and then when I came back, like, Beckett, when I looked back, like, Beckett was dead, and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> what just happened? Like, I missed the half of that conversation there. <laughs> that part? It was like, if you if you just looked away for a minute, or if you went to the bathroom or something, you were going to be totally lost. Yeah. Which is both good and bad. I guess good, because it meant the, the story was involved. It could be bad if you aren't already enjoying the movie, and now you just get confused, and now you're just mad. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it did really well at pulling people in and making you want to know what happens next. Yeah. And also the weirdest thing about Dryden is that the whole time I'm sitting there going, why, like, this is Vision, and he's so different. Cause he... I, I was trying to picture evil Vision at the very beginning, because I knew it was the same actor, and I was like, that just doesn't work. Vision's, like, polite and nice and stuff. But yeah. Because like, you can weird. tell his face is, like, the same shape. Like, Vision has all that makeup and stuff they put on him. So, yeah. So I was like, and it's the same actor. It's Paul Bettany as both of these characters, but he is so different. He did a really good job with his role. I wonder where Dryden got all those, like, marks all over his face, though. Like, he has, like, a bunch of scars that are, are red. Like Yeah, there's there's actually a really cool theory about that. And it's being... Well, Story Group didn't really confirm it yet, but they've been kind of hinting that, um, you know, Nare from the Freemaker Adventures Lego show? <laughs> yeah. She's got, like... She's got, like, these white markings all over her face. And when she gets mad, her eyes turn red and her face turns red. And he does the same thing, so they've been hinting that they're, like, the same species. Ooh, I'm wondering, like, what Nari's, like, what species, what kind of type she is. Because it sort of looks like Darth Maul's pattern, but not really. Like, yeah. just like, some kind of weird pattern. Oh, there was a reference to a, um, I for- always forget what model the ghost is. But there, apparently there was a reference 
to that that ship. Really? It's like the, I always forget that too. I'm so bad with ships. Like. Yeah, it's like uh, the VCX or whatever, something like that. Mm-hmm. And at some point when Han and Lando are gambling, he's like, I've got one of those. And Lando's like, wow. <sighs> and it's like, it's like this big thing about how he's got a, one of those kind of ships. And it's the same <laughs> model as the ghost. That's cool. So maybe that that does that means the ghost is better than the Falcon. Yay! So <laughs> yeah, I I have to say that by the end of Solo, the ghost is definitely in better condition than the Falcon. Yes. And I I feel like I would trust Hera flying me more than Han any day. Oh yeah. Just because Han he's a good pilot, but he gets stuck a lot. So he does crazy things. So it was, it's just a really cool, I'm going to look up and see if I can figure out what that model number was, but that was an interesting reference that I totally missed watching the movie. Because, I bet there's so many more, like, once it comes out on DVD and we, like, watch it again, there's going to be so many more that we find in it. Yeah. I'm trying to see. I know there's supposed to be a lot of EU references in it, but since I don't really know anything about it, I don't think I caught any of those. Yeah, there there were a ton of them, and I read about some of them. But I had no clue what was going on. Like, I'm sure Elias will catch all of them when he watches the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, that was... that. That's pretty interesting they put that in there. And I guess they can put things like that in there, and the EU fans are going to catch it, and nobody else really cares. And maybe that's the problem with that some people have with putting Maul in there, because it's something that's really, really a big deal. Versus EU references, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So I just found the trivia. It says that uh, when when they're playing the first game of Sabacc, it says it's the VCX 100 light freighter from Corellia. And when they're playing their first game of Sabacc, Hans, that's the ship he says he has. He's like, I've got a VCX 100. And Lando's like, wow, well, I'll totally gamble my ship for that. And then he yeah. didn't actually have one. <laughs> So it kind of makes me wonder how he knew about, like, I mean, he's Corellian, but I just want to know if there was some, like, run-in where he saw VCX and it made an impression on him or something. Just because, I don't know, I just live for more Rebels connections and things. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of The Elven Padawan from Erebor to Echo Base. I hope you enjoyed these thoughts on Solo, a Star Wars story from Audrey and myself. Hopefully they've given you some more to think about concerning the movie, or if you haven't seen it yet, maybe they've convinced you to watch it. If you'd like to hear more of what Audrey has to say about a number of things, please check out her blogs over on elfinpadawan.com. She writes new articles over there almost every week. They're always really interesting and enjoyable to read. Her most recent one was a review of the Star Wars novel Tarkin by James Lucino. I also have something new to fill you all in on, and that's that The Oven Padawan now has a Patreon. Right now we have one supporter. I'd like to give a shout out to Abigail Dillon for sending that support our way. And it's so helpful, you guys. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron of ours as well. Right now I've only got one tier set up. That's for a dollar a month. But I'm working on adding some higher ones and some neat rewards to go along with that. So you'll be seeing that soon as well. I'll have that linked up in the show notes. If you'd like to see those show notes for this episode, you can find them all over there at the website, elvenpadawan.com. 
There's also show notes for every other podcast we've done, and every other podcast we've done is on there, so you can listen to it. You can find plenty of other fun things about us, and Star Wars, and Tolkien, and sometimes completely different rabbit trails that we write about. So please hop over there, and if you like what you see, leave us a comment. Let us know you love it. We love to chat with readers and listeners in the comments. It always brightens my day to see that someone's left us something, and I can get in a little conversation with them. It's so much fun. If you'd like to contact us here at The Elven Padawan, maybe with a question or suggestion for future podcast topics or tips on recording or writing or anything really that you want to let us know, please use the contact form on our site. There's at the main navigation bar when you are on the main page of the site, there's one button that says contact. So just click on that. There's a contact form. It's super straightforward and simple. You just put in your info, send the message. It's that easy if you want to contact us. Alternatively, you could use our, you could message us through Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Elvin Padawan, capital E, capital P. Follow us through there. I'm on there frequently. I'm always tweeting out about something new that I'm doing over here, or I'm on there a lot to talk with people who want to talk to me about Star Wars or Tolkien or Marvel or any of the numerous books you'll sometimes see me reference. I'm always up for someone contacting me through there, so that's another way if you'd like to send us a message. This podcast is available through SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music, so please subscribe or follow us on one of those different services and leave us a review. Reviews are super helpful, and you can type one up straight on your phone or iPod or any other device that you listen to podcasts on. It takes less than five minutes to click the five stars and just say, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Click the submit, and it means so much to a podcast if you can leave them a review. If you've enjoyed this or any other episode of the Elven Padawan from Airboard to Echo Base, please, please consider leaving us one of those five stars. That's it for today, you guys. I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. As always, may the wind under your wings bear you to where the sun sails and the moon walks and the force be with you always. I regret to announce this is the end. I'm going now. I bid you all a very fond farewell. <laughs>